The Start on On Demand. Should there be more accountability at 311? A motion before the mayor's inner circle is calling for a review of sorts. Waverly West Councillor Janice Lukes, one of the people behind that motion, and she joined us this morning to explain what is on her mind. Manitoba's Justice Minister joined us as well to weigh in on the rising number of homicides. Western alienation. A poll shows Canada is more divided than it's ever been. And have you ever dated anyone at work? The CEO of McDonald's had to step down after a consensual relationship with an employee, and that got us talking about the dangers of dating your colleagues. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, November 5th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, we just had a mini-adventure in our studio, and I just want to try to paint a picture. <laughs> have you ever tried to, to toss a piece of paper? A that is A flat, unfolded piece yes, of paper. Yeah. That is not in the form of a paper airplane. That has not been crumpled up for Greg to shoot uh, off the bank like Tim Duncan from the San Antonio Spurs. But just try to throw a piece of paper. Well, it's unpredictable, and uh, what I just witnessed was, I wish I had it on video because it was amazing. Hey, don't we have cameras in here? I'm sure we could figure that out. Uh, I, so we have a rundown we print every morning of what we'd like to try to get into the show. It doesn't always go the way the rundown says, but I print the rundowns out, which is usually also why I'm late every single morning. And Greg said, can I get a rundown? And I'm so lazy today that instead of even standing up <laughs> to hand it to him, I tried to chuck this piece of paper at him. Three times? Three times, Third yeah. time was the charm. The fourth, actually. was very good. Because the... there was three times with one, and you said, here it goes. And you threw it, and it, like, boomeranged around the room, Just around me, again. and then essentially came back and landed right in front of you, which was a thing of beauty. So then you tried <laughs> another one, and it did it. So anyway, I even though you say you were lazy, but inadvertently, you ended up getting... It was far more work in the yeah, end. Yeah, it was quite uh, the yes. physical exertion there. Oh, so. that's about as physical as it gets for me. <laughs> So, There's well, my exercise. What do you do to reduce your stress every day? I throw paper. I try to go. I try to go for a walk every day, and I typically don't allow the elements to stop me. But yesterday sucked. Mm-hmm. I, I put on a toque. I put on a scarf. But clearly, I still like. I, I didn't want to put my parka on yet because to me, that's like admitting defeat. Right. Uh, I, I I wait as long as I can to hold out to pull out the parka. But I put so I put on my fall jacket over top of a heavy sweater. That sweater that I got from the Peg Authentic. That's a beefy sweater. And it's a beauty, Thank by you. the way. Very nice looking uh, sweater. They have a great website as well. Yeah, the uh, so Peg Authentic. I'll find the website there. Yeah, just I, Google the Peg Authentic. Great stuff if you're a proud Winnipegger. Uh, PegAuthentic.com. There you go. But and you can see a picture of the sweater on my Instagram if you want to follow me on Instagram at Brett McGarry. But uh, the sweater, the jacket, the scarf, the toque, even heavy gloves wasn't enough. Yeah. I went for like 15 minutes and said, "Forget this." It was winter, like from about noon on yesterday. It was just one of those days. As much as I love living here, that was one of those days where it was like, "Can you just take me like just about anywhere?" Well, you're else? in that adjustment zone now. I, it's funny that you say it was winter because I left the building yesterday about 12:30, and as I walk out to the parking lot, that was my thought. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> it is winter. Winter's here." Did, and, were you that calm and collected about it? Yeah, oh, this woman had held you. the door open for me on my way out, mm. and that calmed me down. Mm. My yeah, my reaction was far more obscenity laden. I was not calm. <laughs> well, you know me; I don't all. like to swear. Oh yes, of course, that, that's yeah. true. <laughs> I'm always calm and using big words. 
I used a lot of big, <laughs> loud words yesterday. Like, look at this forecast. Uh, minus, okay, so for tomorrow, uh, today is going to be minus 10 this afternoon. Tomorrow, That's the high? Yeah. Tomorrow, wind chill minus 20 in the morning. Come on! And the high will be minus 7. Oh. And then long term, you've got minus 10 on Thursday, minus 3 Friday, minus 6 Saturday, <sighs> minus 11. And you've got lows in the minus 13 to minus 17. And again, the high for this time of year is 2 degrees, just as a, a reminder of what it is we're dealing with Sunday here. Sunday night, the forecast low, minus 19. You're going to have to plug in your car. Oh, Yeah. Like if you have a like certain car, you might have to plug it in. Yeah. Ugh. No, really? Yes, really. Mm. Yeah. That's only if you don't have a garage or space in your garage to put your car in. Can you turn off her microphone? <laughs> I'm on a wait list to get into the underground parking of my place, so I hope that happens soon. Uh, because otherwise, I'm going to have to be because I'm lazy. I'm going to need to to get an upgraded command start because I, my command I have command start, but it, it its range is like 50 feet. Or if I'm up high, as long as I have a clear line of sight, it'll work. But I'm up on the 16th floor and I'm around the corner. I've tried to stick my key out over top of the balcony to see if it'll work, but it just doesn't reach. It doesn't reach. I, don't I, do that because you know what you know what's happening next. I'm gonna drop my keys. Correct. <laughs> just don't do that. Yeah. Uh, so it was cold. So that sucks. So. In the meantime, we're here with you. We feel your pain. It's cold. And we have an announcement to help warm you up at 707. Very mm-hmm. excited about this announcement. There's a really cool show coming to Winnipeg, and we are going to make that announcement at 707. And then we will give tickets away for said show at 915. We also have our next edition of Gone Ice Fishing at 715. Your chance to qualify for the ultimate ice fishing package and win passes for the Winnipeg Ice Fishing Show, which is this weekend. And we have Superhero Showdown tickets at 837. That's this weekend. Centennial Concert Hall with the Couch Potatoes and the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. I probably should have put the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra first in that order of operations, not the Couch Potatoes. We're the special guest hosts who just managed to infiltrate, to interlope, to weasel our way back in. Yeah, but in. you earned that based on the work that you did last year. So you're not interlopers. You're you're not weaseling your way into anything. You've earned this, okay? I appreciate your optimistic well, appraisal. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, I got all the feedback. I had spies okay. at the shows. You guys did a marvelous job, and the WSO would not be having you back if you didn't do a fantastic job. So I, uh, you know, kudos to you and to Jeff Braun. Just take the compliment, run with it. Don't be so modest all the time. Okay, thank you, Greg. I, I very much appreciate that. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we want to talk right now about workplace romance. Well, for all of us here at Channel 4 News, I'm Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, San Diego. And thanks for stopping by. But mainly, stay classy. Thanks for stopping by. Stay classy, I'm Ron Burgundy. Thanks for stopping by. Stay classy. Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. That's right. <laughs> Veronica and Ron were in a relationship for a little bit, and then it got nasty, and they had to work shoulder to shoulder, side mm. by side. Fake that on chemistry. The yes. That's right. So we're talking about this this morning because Greg spotted an article. He said, oh, this is kind of interesting about the McDonald's uh, announcing that its CEO has essentially been fired for violating company policy for having a consensual relationship with an employee. The CEO admitted he's divorced, so there's nothing, you know, 
philandering happening here, but he acknowledged the relationship and said it was a mistake given the values of the company. He agreed it was time to move on. And that raised all sorts of questions from us because we're like, oh, it's not like he's being accused of harassment or a bad relationship just for having this consensual relationship, period. So at 845, we're going to talk to a human resources person about the rules of workplaces and what we all should be thinking about. But it had us asking, (laughs) well, it had (laughs) me already knowing (laughs) that we've been down this road as a team. Because of Brett's story. And have you ever been in a workplace relationship? And how did that go? And what, what are your thoughts about them? Yeah. So I'll so. just pass the torch to you, I think. Okay. Well, uh, for those who don't know, I was uh, my relationship ended in August, August 1st. I was living with my girlfriend, who is a colleague, and I am not going to identify her. And this isn't about throwing her under the bus or anything. Uh, just our lives ended up in, in different situations where she no longer wanted to continue with the relationship. And it's been... It, the first few weeks were awful. It was like because I was the dumpy, I was heartbroken, and it was awkward to say the least to come to work. It was awful. And now it's just kind of awkward. You know, we're trying to figure out how to be amicable and civil with each other. Uh, there certainly have been contentious points, and we did make a commitment to try to have a healthy, positive relationship at work because we have to coexist. You know, mm-hmm. like we can't just cut the cord. No. We work down the hall from each other. But we're only human beings, and there's no textbook for this kind of situation. But it's certainly awkward, and we were already dating. Then she got a job here, and we both said, well, what happens if we break up? And I, and I said, well, we just can't break up. <laughs> uh, so and unfortunately, we did break up. But I so do wish there had been more. We, we could get a new cleaning lady. I wish there had been more <laughs> yelling and screaming and throwing of office equipment around, though. It's been a little disappointing. Yeah. We want that would be no drama. Yeah. There's been no, everyone, everyone's hoping there'd be more drama. Brett, Brett just went flying through a window. Uh, to be fair, when I heard about, like, I, uh, my heart dropped for you, first of all. And then I was like, oh, man, this is going to be awful. Like, we're all just going to be, like, in the hallways, turning around, trying to avoid eye contact. And, you know, but, but. It, how many people have done it? Like I've I've been worked in four different newsrooms, and I think I've seen at least five different, maybe maybe more office relationships in the in the cases where you know it might be a camera person and a reporter who have to spend nine hours in a car yeah. together some days, like really close relationships. And every single time I'm like, you see, I don't I, know why you want to go down that road. I would date someone at work, but not in the same like department. Like as long as I don't have to work with them. And luckily for me, you know, if I were to date someone here and we were to break up, I just I spend all my day in this room, so <laughs> I could hide out. Yeah, you don't like making eye contact anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, and see, in theory, I, I, your your logic is sound, but even being in the same building, building yeah, you know, you, I can go a week without bumping into this person, but just knowing that she's in the building is awkward at times. You know, it's gotten to the point now where I, like, it's just kind of awkward. It's not painful anymore, but it's certainly a, a very tricky situation. So I would recommend anybody considering it to exercise caution. Well, they say in those rela- in, in personal relationships and, and romantic ones in particular, it's the thing that draws you to that person that will you will ultimately... Dis, have disdain for them about eventually. And so the idea, Loren, that you pointed out, well, it's probably, well, we spend so much time together, we like each other, and then you get together a couple, it's like, oh my God, we spend so mm. much time together. It yeah. is the exact opposite. You must have seen this over the years, oh, Kelly. Well, actually, you know, the station that I worked for before I came to Winnipeg was a privately owned station. It was, it was smaller. I think there was probably a total of about 40 employees or something like that. And inter-office relationships were strictly forbidden. 
And if you did, uh, I remember one time our, our high-ranking controller actually had to leave the company because he was dating a person in sales. And and so the uh, the owners of the radio station basically said, one Something of you has to go. go. Which is yeah. the optics of it. I think that's where it comes down to with McDonald's or yeah. other. It's because you might be able to then say, well, look, of course she's getting that promotion, or of course he's getting that promotion. Yeah. He's with that person, or of course they get that neat sales gig or whatever. It just it shouldn't Th- happen. This was different only from the aspect that it was uh, all due to staff harmony. And that is that if they did break up, well, right. then one half of the staff is on this side, mm-hmm. the you know, and that sort of thing. So, mm. you know, in a larger corporation, I don't know that you'd have those same kind of issues. But uh, I I agreed with it because I did happen to see one uh, uh, relationship that they were trying to keep secret. And then when they broke up, oh, God, it was icy. Oh, Jeff, man. have you ever been yeah. in one? Uh, well, uh, the, some of those files are closed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unless they're dry. I've been here for a long time. In my 20s, I would, I would yeah, you know what, I just when you're in your 20s. Your, your brain isn't necessarily the thing leading you around all day, every day, right? So now in my 40s, I would I would never even consider it just because of all the, like, I'm awkward enough in real life without having to drag that into the mess, too. So, and I mean, fortunately, I don't think I have to worry about it, but because I got a girlfriend that doesn't work here and I will not tell her about any job openings that come up in the future. But yeah. I love that those files are closed. That, that's, a pro, that's a promo clip, Jeff. Brown. No Kelly, you made that a good point too about you know if thing of staff harmony, and that was that's that was one of my biggest fears as well. Uh, putting the personal stuff aside, I cared very deeply about making sure that this did not affect anyone professionally. I didn't want this to be a situation at work. So that's one of the things we I think have succeeded. At least I hope. Well, I, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going disappointingly on. Disappointingly, so yes. Yeah. yes. No, I will say we were talking about how we have this morning rundown, and I had entered. In in the rundown yesterday uh relationships in the workplace why they're bad and you should never do them and i was like mm, i'll delete a bit of that i don't think brett needs my feedback right now so like, sorry awkward yeah. let us know 204-780-6868 have you ever dated someone at the workplace i won't identify this person but one of our listeners said i married someone at work and then it crashed and burned and then she went around trashing me at the office. See? Oh. Just, it's not a good idea. But sometimes it has a happy ending. Come on. It doesn't often have a, an happy ending. This McDonald's guy's he's loving it. He's, it's going to work out for him. <laughs> he's loving it. Yeah. $675,000 severance, and as our listener said, uh, and fries with that <laughs> on the go. way out the door. Climate change, as you mentioned, Brett, could be coming for your dinner plate. Changes to the world's climate could mean more frequent outbreaks of foodborne illness. Each of these will affect food safety in different ways. Rising water temperature has been associated with more shellfish-related illnesses. As an example, a 2004 outbreak of Vibrio on an Alaskan cruise ship was linked to fresh local oysters. That was deemed unusual because at the time, authorities didn't think that Alaskan waters were warm enough for that bacteria to grow. But as ocean temperatures rose year after year, it became 
hot enough in summer for Vibrio to infect the oysters. That, according to a study published in the New England Journal of Medicine. There are other examples to discuss. To do that, we welcome Professor Keith Warner, Department of Food Science, Food Microbiology and Food Safety at the University of Guelph. Good morning, Professor Warner. How are you this morning? Oh, good morning. Well, Vibrio might be a bacteria many of us had not ever heard of. I confess I'd not ever heard of it until I read about it this morning. What is it? Oh, Vibrio is an interesting one. Uh, usually it uh, basically lives in the sea, and it used to reside in the Gulf of Mexico. And so when you used to go swimming in Mexico, you used to get this flesh-eating bacteria that you might have heard about. And uh, that's a kind of Vibrio. But as the seas warmed, it kind of migrated up, and it was either not only off the coast of BC recently, it's, uh, it's even been isolated from Nova Scotian waters. And what happens is that uh, the Vibrio lives in the sea, and the sort of shellfish feed on it, and they concentrate it. And the Vibrio is very happy to be in there, and obviously we consume oysters raw. And what it gives you is a kind of, not so much dysentery, but it's close to it, a fairly persistent diarrhea. And the big one is the flesh-eating one, uh, which isn't uh, good to have. <laughs> to say to say it succinctly, no, it's not. We, we also know there are examples of salmonella, listeria. Those are we're more familiar with, maybe salmonella in vegetables or meat, E. coli, listeria in, uh, you know, could be pastrami or something. How can climate change be contributing to those illnesses? Well, really, we put our seeds of uh, this of doom when we had the industrial revolution. You know, essentially, we got this way of increasing agriculture intensity, which increased the population growth. So we had these two things going on in parallel, and when we get this increase in animal production and intensive animal production, you produce a lot of manure. And uh, obviously, people produce sewage, so to speak, and all these contain these pathogens like salmonella. And it's okay when they're separated from our fresh produce, but what happens in climate change, isn't it? We've, and you've seen it in Winnipeg in that wet September, is that you get these extreme events where you get uh, heavy precipitation or rain, and it floods the fields where the salmonella and all those other pathogens become widely distributed in the environment, not only on produce and water. And once we get that kind of cycle of infections, uh, we you know, just like grows and grows. So in a lot of ways, um, climate change will increase that due to dissemination, you know, due to the fact that we also uh, produce all these animals. And not only that, so you're going to have issues about things like mycotoxins and moles because uh, in Winnipeg I think you had that big rain month where farmers couldn't even get in the field to harvest corn and so what happens there moles grow on that producing something called mycotoxins which are these toxins that accumulate so in terms of climate change there's lots of things to worry about especially with the safety of our food supply. And once these pathogens get entrenched into the the food system they're, they're difficult to eradicate is that fair to say? Absolutely. And uh, the high temperatures actually just enhance their sort of persistence because typically pathogens in the environment won't grow. They're already used to our sort of uh, insides. But uh, when it warms up, yes, certainly they can start growing and become endemic. And this is not only to the salmonellas and uh, E. coli and listeria. So we've also seen a big uh, rise in parasites like cyclosporin and cryptosporidium. 
Oh, boy, I remember that uh, cryptosporidium uh, from uh, Kelowna. They had a outbreak of that uh, about a decade ago in their water supply. So what do we do? We just got a minute or so here, Dr. Warner. What do we do? What, what's our, our best protection here? And what, what actions can we take on the consumer side? Uh, so really what we have to do is be wary about temperature abuse, as in keep our foods cold or keep our foods hot. But really what we have to do is also is just be very mindful that we all contribute to climate change through transportation, through travel. And uh, in terms of fresh produce and that, just make sure that at least it's washed and uh, from reputable sources and you should be good. But we really have to make big changes very soon in something called a One Health approach. But hopefully people will take notice and have action. Thank you for this, Dr. Professor Keith Warner. He's in the Department of Food Science, Food Microbiology and Food Safety at the University of Guelph. We uh, look forward to talking to you again, uh, Professor Warner. Thank you for this. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it is the place many Winnipeggers turn, turn to first with questions or concerns. Yeah, and they could be questions about your garbage pickup or snow clearing or trees that have fallen from, you know, that recent winter storm. We're, of course, talking about 311. That's the service that takes hundreds of calls from Winnipeggers every single day. They'll also take your tweets, your messages. And today there's a motion before the mayor's inner circle, the executive policy committee, calling for a review of sorts of 311. Waverly West Councillor Janice Lukes is one of the people behind that motion and joins us now to explain. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. So what are we looking for here? What's the ask? So the ask is to the mayor and his executive policy committee, who are the only ones that have the power to do this, to ask to do a deep dive into 311, apply new technology and methodology processes to fix it. There's a lot of challenges with 311 still. There have been improvements over the years, but councillors that aren't on the Executive Policy Committee are not aware of what changes are occurring, what is projected to occur, I'd like to see that information, and I would like to to know if they're continually working to improve three one one. What's the like? What do you know in terms of the issues? Are we talking about trying to find a benchmark for what the average return time is in a phone call, or how long it might take to address a problem? Do we have any of that data so we can actually even say that there is a problem there? Well, the main problems that I'm finding with constituents is is basically this. Two or three. One is there. It's a runaround. They're getting, they're they're not getting the answer. They're not getting the answer in a timely manner, and they're getting multiple multiple service request numbers. Um, there is an issue about being on hold. I encourage people to email three one one. We're not, and when when an answer does come through, and I think we saw that yesterday, there was a report of uh, you know curbs being repaired in thirty years. Well, that's that's not acceptable. Like, if the curb can't be repaired in 30 years, um, I think there's other ways to tell people that it's not on the priority. Uh, there's there's a, this is a front line for citizens. It's like the first impression that citizens have of the city. And I think I don't think I know we can do a better job of delivering customer service than we currently are. And I'm asking for uh, the mayor and the executive policy committee to ask 
actually the Innovation and Economic Development Department to take a closer look at this to improve the ability of delivering services. Janice, I can tell you, personally, I've had a lot of success with 311 on Twitter. They've been fairly responsive on Twitter. I don't have to sit on hold. and But not everybody has access to that technology. We just had a back and forth with one of our listeners, and that's her issue. Is she's She yeah. says, I'm a little bit older, and I don't have the ability to, to deal with them that way. But this idea that 311 became essentially a clearinghouse, a gatekeeper, if you like, for every single city department, I think that's what really difficult to to stomach for a lot of people is that I can't phone specific departments to get an answer. Everything has to get translated for me. That's frustrating. Right. And what happens is uh, residents decide, okay, enough of that. They're not going to deal with 301. They call a counselor's office. Now, I want to be clear. I have absolutely no problem helping constituents out solve the problem. But the reality is a huge percentage of my time and my executive assistant's time, times all the counselors, that's what we're focused on. We're glorified 311 operators. And, and I think that's a poor use of taxpayer dollars. I think there's better things counselors can be doing um, to help improve the city. I think that 311 needs to be refined further so that they can handle the bulk of these calls. I mean, they are handling almost a million calls a year, email and calls, but I think we can do better. And, and I, don't, I don't know, counselors not on the executive policy committee don't really know the direction 311 is going because we don't, you know, it's not like water and waste or public works. 311 does not report to a committee. They only go to, th- to the executive policy committee. So I'm asking for the executive policy committee to, to look at improving 311 to give us a history, give us what's, you know, wanting what the direction is going forward and um, just becoming more open and transparent about what we're doing to improve this front line, this first interface that the customers have, the customers that the constituents have. With no, they're customers. The and I, they think that's, customers. I think that's the right word. That's the mentality. I know. You know what? I've worked in retail all my life and I, I, I'm all about service delivery and I, I think of them as customers. So, Well, I think that's fair. And I think you've raised some more questions that I didn't know about how they don't report to a committee. And perhaps that's something that needs to be reviewed as well. If it is such an essential frontline service, why isn't there that feedback coming back on a regular basis to, uh, to in a department? Then that's exactly what I'm asking for is just some more public, open, transparent accountability so we can all see where it's going. I would like to say, I would like to be able to say to constituents, you know what? We know there's a problem. We are working on it. We need to fix this or that. But we have no idea. It's only the mayor and the executive policy committee that have the authority and the ability and that know what's going on. We're right. West Council. Janice Lukes joining us live on CJOB. Janice, thank you very much for this. Thank you. We've been telling you all morning about a possible crime scene in Waverly West. With police at a condo complex on Timsale Drive. Police are only able to tell us at this moment that they've been there since 11.45 p.m. last night as a result of what they're calling a serious incident. When we learn more, we will share it with you. But here's what I think we all know so far, regardless of this latest incident. Winnipeg and some parts of Manitoba are experiencing a spike in crime, one of the worst 
we've seen in recent years. So we've had the mayor on talking about his thoughts. Winnipeg's police chief joined us last week. The union has come on several times over the last few months. And now we want to give Manitoba's Justice Minister, Cliff Cullen, an opportunity to share his thoughts about this rise in crime. He joins us now. Good morning, Minister Cullen. Good morning. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, thanks for joining us. We know violent crime is up, breaking enters are up, homicides are up. And, and I think it's fair to say that all of Manitoba is increasingly frustrated. And we know that some of this has been linked to meth. And we know there wasn't a task force put together that came with many recommendations months ago. But what we want to know this morning is what new conversations are taking place behind the scene? What is the talk in your office or with lawyers or with the police department about what needs to be done next? Well, thanks again for the opportunity to, to be with you this morning. Uh, clearly, uh, we're, we're frustrated as well, along with Manitobans, in terms of the, uh, the current trends we see. And uh, obviously, we take uh, policing and public safety very seriously. And uh, we've certainly been working on that front uh, for, for quite some time. So a lot of conversations going on, certainly behind the scenes, uh, with uh, police, with our municipal stakeholders. Uh, certainly from a prosecution's perspective here at Justice, uh, we want to make sure these individuals that are responsible for these criminal activities uh, do face uh, prosecution. And that's certainly very important, and we're taking a collaborative approach with police to address that. Where are the holes, if there are any, Minister Cullen, with regard to someone that may be picked up uh, off the street and processed by police and then the public's frustration when they learn that that individual's back out on the street in 24 or 48 hours. Is there a shortage of prosecutors? Is there a shortage of facilities to hold these people? Where, where's the hole in the system, or do we know yet? Well, there, there's a process in place. Obviously, we have to abide by uh, the rules established by uh, federal courts. Um, you know, individuals are eligible for, for bail. Uh, so there is uh, discussions with Crown prosecutors, uh, with judges, uh, to, to make sure that uh, uh, that particular individual uh, is, is not going to be uh, an issue uh, when he goes, if an individual is let back into uh, society. Uh, so those, those individuals that uh, are deemed uh, not to be safe individuals back to society, those individuals could be held in custody. So those are the kind of discussions and decisions that are made by the, the judges, ultimately, uh, with advice uh, from Crown, Crown prosecutors. What do you hear in your circles? And I can only imagine, I mean, we get questions all the time. If I have friends over or go to a dinner party, if I'm at the rink with my kids, one of the biggest things people are talking about right now is shoplifting and liquor store thefts and the frustration that they're seeing with that. And I have no doubt that you've been asked in your own circles, what are, you, what are we doing about this and what can be done? So in conjunction with the Crown uh, corporations, in conjunction with the police, what is the answer to that? What's next for, for mitigating this huge problem? Well, for sure. And th this, these situations, obviously, that's criminal activity. And again, uh, we're taking steps to, to make sure that these individuals, and uh, in a lot of cases, it's a very small number of individuals that are causing uh, shoplifting, and in particular at, at liquor stores. So we've uh, initiated some steps, very proactive, uh, to apprehend these individuals. Uh, all in terms of the liquor stores, at least, uh, there's video surveillance there, so we can go back and, and uh, trace the ind individuals that were involved. Uh, and again, as I say, many of these 
cases are repeat offenders. Uh, so these these offenders will be uh, prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But you know, Minister Colin, there are people who are intervening now. There are people who are fed up. People in some cases are getting hurt trying to apprehend these folks because they see that, in their view, nothing is being done. So are there talks about, do we need uh, more sheriffs? Do we need more security guards? Do we need to give people more powers so that they can have the right to detain, arrest, intervene? Weapons even might be part of the conversation. And, and if those conversations are taking place, is there a number that's out there, you know, if you're talking to police, are they saying we need money for 20 more officers, 30 more officers? Like what specifically is happening as, a, as beyond just saying, you know, we're taking some steps? Well, let me say, first of all, I want to make sure that the public is safe. So certainly they have to be very cautious when they, they're taking proactive steps uh, because you never know when these individuals will have a, a weapon of some description. So advising the public to be cautious uh, when they when you see these individuals uh, undertaking criminal activities. So be very cautious, first of all. We, we're in constant discussions with the, the folks at Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries, uh, constant discussion uh, with police forces across the province, and also our, our Crown prosecutors are taking these uh, matters very seriously. So certainly a, a lot has been done. Uh, we're obviously looking at potential changes in legislation as well uh, to enhance that. Uh, so there's a lot of things being done, certainly behind the scenes. What, what, would, the, what would those changes be to the legislation? Well, we'll have a look at uh, the capacity of individuals at at, in, at the respective uh, liquor stores uh, and see if there's something else that, that may, may be done. For example, like what would that be? Well, what we've done is we've instituted institutional safety officers. Uh, that program is available to uh, various uh, institutions across the province again it's that talks about specific training uh, education uh, weapons those sort of things so uh, that's that's a discussion that uh, could take place as well minister colin uh thank you for your time justice minister cliff colin joining us this morning thank you thank you very much Sometimes if you follow your heart in the workplace, it can get you into a ton of trouble. might even cost you your job. Barbara Bowes Legacy Group joins us now. Good morning, Barb. Morning. How many companies, how common is it for companies to have a policy strictly disallowing relationships amongst uh, either uh, different levels of, of employees or employees altogether? Well, I can tell you that there's been a number of surveys over the years. Um, and then in the past five years, a number of surveys through basically through the human resource associations that are showing 99% of survey respondents do not allow love matches between a supervisor and a subordinate. So, you know, it's really grown. Um, I think over the years, people really didn't care about it. Um, but as harassment kind of grew, it's gotten to be the thing to do. Um, and then there's another 45% say they don't allow a romance between anybody of a, of a different rank. So we've got issues of the senior leader, like McDonald's CEO. That policy from McDonald's, from what I understand, is no relationship with any uh, anyone in the organization, subordinate or otherwise. I guess they'd all be subordinate. So it's very, very rigid. And, and that's what's really happening is people will not stand for that. Employers will not stand for that anymore. So 99% of people in the latest surveys are showing they have policies 
with respect to that exact issue. Well, that's why we reached out, Barbara. Was You brought up the McDonald's CEO. He was let go this week because of what was deemed a consensual relationship. And my first thought was, well, it's consensual, so what's the wrong? But then the more you think about it, it's like, well, it's all the optics that could come from it. It's the possibility for influence. It's how someone on the outside might look at it. And so there's all sorts of... Um, Oh, I guess it's, it, when you start digging, it could be a really bad thing to allow those kinds of consensual relationships. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what happens. Whether it's consensual or not, it's still a power relationship. That person, the CEO, can turn around if, the, if it breaks up, um, and it could cause that harassment and complaints on the, the part of the lady. Um, but you know what? If, if your policy says no relationships, and he's having a relationship, he's automatically breaking the policy. He's not a role model for his organization anymore. Now, this morning, I don't know if you folks looked, but McDonald's also uh, fired the VP of HR, who happened to have been a friend of the CEO. So what happens here is that that individual, there's no way in my mind that they didn't know or he didn't know what was going on, and he didn't do anything. So, you know, when you're talking optics, here you've got the two senior, senior people breaking policy. What do you expect the rest of McDonald's poli- uh, uh, staff to be doing? So I, I, I can see that. And, and, you know, for that HR person not to have done anything, but they're friends. So relationships really interfered in the application of policy at the very senior executive level. So um, I can see why both of them... Um, sort of went there going their own ways. So is this a, a message to those that maybe have grown up, shall we say, in, in work environments where, yes, the policy existed, but it was kind of a one-eye-down, wink situation, you know, if you can hide it successfully, we're not going to rat you out, that things have really changed and corporations are taking this very, very seriously now? Is that the message here? Yeah, the message is exactly that. Now, I, I have to say to you that a lot of organizations will allow that especially small organizations where you have family members and and workers that fall in love with each other in, in terms of every day but as long as you disclose it that you are then moving an individual away from the supervision of that partner and building barriers so that there isn't um, fear of favoritism and all of those kinds of things so it does happen but you build in um, barriers I guess and policies that uh, create independence and remove the favoritism. Because once you get that morale business, someone's going to get promoted because they're uh, related to, et cetera, et cetera. You know, as Lauren was saying, it's just a disaster, a recipe for disaster. Barbara Bowes with Legacy Bowes Group joining us live on 680 CJOB. Barbara, thank you as always for the time. We appreciate it. Oh, it's super. Thank you. Have a great day. start this hour, though, with a new poll out by Ipsos today that shows Canada is more divided now than it has ever been. And it largely looks at numbers out of Alberta and Saskatchewan, and they show that those feelings of alienation that we've been talking about ever since Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was re-elected, that those feelings of alienation, particularly in those provinces, are at what Ipsos is calling historic levels. Kyle Braid is the vice president of Ipsos and joins us now. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning. It's Mike College, actually. Oh, I'm from, sorry, uh, Mike. I had okay. on my list. Kyle's it was a... Kyle calling in. <laughs> We're interchangeable. Well, that's good. You have to be factual because polls are all about the facts. So let's get into some <laughs> of the questions that you were asking. What were you? What were you trying to figure out? What were you asking people to respond to in terms of feeling out how those alienation emotions were playing out? 
Well, there's been an awful lot of talk uh, ever since the election about sort of the rise of alienation and how people uh, viewed separation, the division in the country. And so we went out to ask people across the country about whether Canada is divided. And what we found was about 6 in 10 Canadians, 59%, say, you know what, the country is more divided than ever before. And as you noted in the, the lead, a lot of that's coming out of Alberta and Saskatchewan, where close to 8 in 10 say, yeah, I think we're more divided. Um, Manitoba, Ontario, BC all fall around the mid 50s, high 50s who still see it. But then interestingly, in Atlantic Canada, two thirds of Atlantic Canadians sitting on the other side of the, the country said, you know, we look across and we see a pretty divided country as well. But when you get to the crux of the issue and you ask the question, would your province be better off if it's separated from Canada, the numbers aren't as strong. They're higher maybe than we'd like them to be. But I don't think I don't see the numbers as that strong. Do you see them differently? Well, they're 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 at historic levels for that question. And so what we've seen is, you know, in Alberta, it's at 33 percent, up from 25 percent a year ago. And, you know, in the the low teens back into 2000, Saskatchewan's up over a quarter at 27 percent. They rival or are on par with with Quebec, which we've always worried about separating, which is now at 26 percent. So. From a, is the country going to break up over this? No, you're right. They're not anywhere near that 50 plus one. But from a, is there a, a, a very antsy core out there who are concerned about where the direction of the country is going? It, it is concerning. It's interesting when you look at the Manitoba numbers, uh, Mike, because we've asked the question here to our listeners before, particularly in the hours after that that uh, federal election, about Manitobans' thoughts. And we always think of ourselves as part of the West, at least I think I do. I don't want to speak yeah. for Greg and Brett, but I would say we do. We're Western Canadians. But we're kind of in that middle of the road when it comes to the numbers. Yes, we feel divided. But when it comes to that separation question, Manitoba's response was really low. Only 11% thought it would be better if there was some sort of Western separation. Yeah, and it's clear that that Western alienation is really today about Alberta and Saskatchewan alienation, and it's about oil, the energy sector, pipelines. Um, we don't see the same levels in BC. We don't see the same levels in Manitoba. There's some sympathy in BC and more sympathy in Manitoba for the plight of Alberta and Saskatchewan because you understand it, um, but you definitely more of a connection to the country and those provinces. Lots of questions as well about how do you identify yourself first? I'm probably in that camp where as much as I love Canada, I think I'm more a Manitoban first. I've got that regional bias and and grew up that way. And I guess I'm not really super alone in that. No, and that's something that that we've always seen. You know, Canadians, um, you know, we're united as a country, but we have some real strong regional identification. And four in 10 Canadians say, I think of myself, as part of this this region first, and you know, in Ontario and in Manitoba, it's around a third, and then it rises into the uh, into the the low fifties, high forties, and in other parts of the country, uh, Atlantic Canada, for one, is you know one of the highest levels at fifty three percent. So you know, I'm Atlantic Canadian before I'm Canadian. Um, so that's part of uh, sort of the, the the regional variations in Canada that uh, makes it difficult to govern and knit this country together. I'd be curious to know if this is just a post-election hangover feeling, Mike, or if this is something that might linger for some times. You know, you mentioned it, they're at historic levels, so clearly we've done these polls before. Hopefully we can go back and maybe revisit this again in a year because it might be just something that we're feeling now. Yeah, I I think it is something we're feeling more intensely now. Uh, The problem is the, the things that, particularly for Alberta and Saskatchewan, that they would like to see 
greater representation in the federal government, a greater federal government voice in Alberta and Saskatchewan, uh, aren't on the cards right now, given given the way the electoral map works. So there's a real worry that we don't solve uh, and, and worry becomes more, more angry uh, as we go forward. All right. We want to thank you very much for your time, and I'm going to get your name right on the way out. That was Mike College with Ipsos. We appreciate your time, Mike. Thank you very much. All right, Mike, president of Ipsos, just had a little phone issue there at the end, kind of yep. blipped out. Been having some intermittent issues with our phones in recent weeks. And this uh, comes on the heels yesterday. You know, there was some expression that uh, the group that represents Wexit is going to make a motion to try and create their own party. That would be much like the Bloc Québécois mm-hmm. to represent Western interests. And as Mike Mike was saying that that more is uh, highly concentrated in Alberta and Saskatchewan and plays on our conversation we had with Matt Embry yesterday out of Calgary and just this idea of how important the oil and gas sector. I don't think we really understand it here in Manitoba. A lot of us have connections to that part of Canada and maybe understand it better, but it's just, it, it's been devastated. It's a decimated economy in a lot of fronts in Calgary when you realize that beautiful skyline in downtown, downtown Calgary that about a third to 40%, depending on the building, uh, of that office space is, is sitting empty right now. It's it's really mind-boggling to realize the the number of jobs that have disappeared and the wealth that's disappeared from that province. And I think perhaps why you see some of the numbers higher in Manitoba for that feeling or at least that understanding in Alberta is that we all have somebody who's gone out right. west for whatever reason. Uh, my family, your family, you've done it yourself, Greg. Yeah. I have a question. You guys talked about identifying like how you identify with. You said you might often identify more as a Manitoban than you would Canadian. You have that right. regional connection. Is that... Just when you're speaking to other people within the country or when you travel? Even when I travel. So if you were overseas, you would say I'm from Manitoba or you'd say Canada? Uh, I guess I would say Canada, but only because I get the sense that people would know that first. And right. then and then I very quickly let them know where in Canada that I'm from because I'm fiercely loyal, fiercely proud of where I'm from. It doesn't mean that I'm not proud to be Canadian. I don't want to conflate the two things. Yeah. It just means that uh, my home is the most important thing to me. And I identify that as right down to the neighborhood I grew up in, to the city that I've decided to move back to. You mentioned it three times. And, hey, uh, who am I to talk? As somebody who's moved away and come back, I think I have a little bit of a different perspective than people who have never moved away. And then certainly as people who move away and never come back, who are either really good at standing up for Winnipeg or on the opposite end where they trash it Mm -hmm. to no end, depending on the circumstances, the timing of, of them leaving. So I'm asking because I've tried, you know, I've gone to Mexico for before you've been by a pool and an all inclusive and they do those games, right? Brett, they yell something out like, all right, where's everybody from? Like, who's from America? Put up your hand. All right. Anybody else? Where are you from? And, Someone yells out Canada, and then okay, anyone from anywhere else? And this guy in the pool yells out Quebec, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. He didn't identify with being from Canada, and I think that has always been a prevailing emotion. It's what makes Quebecers Quebecers that really sense of self identity and pride. And so I am interested to to see where this goes. If those feelings in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and maybe even here in Manitoba linger for quite some time or if they sort of cool off for a bit and then rise up again even when i lived out west whether it was calgary or in the okanagan if somebody asked me where i was from i was always from winnipeg and it didn't matter if i was in vancouver los angeles or mexico it's not about where i lived it's about where i was from and that's that's just me 
rightfully or wrongly, that's just the way I identify. You can read more at globalnews.ca. The headline, Separatist Sentiment in Alberta, Saskatchewan at Historic Highs, Ipsos Poll. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We've just learned something from the city of Winnipeg. Yeah, they said they were going to do this. We had Mayor Brian Bowman on a, a few months ago saying that he wanted to make changes to the Winnipeg Police Service Pension Plan. And now they put out an email from the mayor's office this morning saying the city of Winnipeg is proposing amendments to the law governing this pension plan, which they say could save the city and taxpayers $12 million. But it means major changes for members of the Winnipeg Police Service and questions about how they're going to enforce this when this was probably part of a collective bargaining agreement uh, put into place years ago. George Van Mackelberg is the vice president of the Winnipeg Police Association and joins us now. Good morning, George. Good morning. So, George, we knew this threat was here, but what they're saying today is they want to remove overtime from pensionable earnings effective January 1. So at the start of next year, they want to take away the opportunity to include overtime as part of the pension. Can they do this? Uh, No, they can't. You know, this is uh, tied to our, our working agreement. Uh, our pension plan is a standalone pension plan. It's not the same as the civic employees. Our plan is strictly for sworn officers in the city of Winnipeg. It is solvent. Uh, there's an agreement in place on how it's governed and the bylaws around it. Uh, we find it very strange that uh, Mayor Bowman, after 40 years of this and negotiated changes, it can be changed by both parties if we sit down and negotiate. Just to say he can arbitrarily change it, we disagree. George, uh, people are going to be saying that uh, your pension plan, uh, people will be looking at it uh, very enviously and looking at it and saying, hey, I don't have a plan like this. But I always make the argument, and, and I'm not here to do your bidding for you, but things in negotiation means quite often you've given up something in order to get this. Could, yes. could you give us an idea of what maybe you've given up over the years in order to make this part of your pension plan? Listen, we, the Winnipeg Police Association has always been good stewards of the plan. This is what many of our members work hard for over the years during negotiation, contract negotiations. There's things that we haven't asked for. Most major police departments start their overtime at double time. We never have. Our overtime starts at time and a half for the first four hours. And we've been good stewards. And we have the agreement we have now because I'm going to say close to 15 to 18 years ago, the city was inappropriately taking a pension holiday and using surplus to pay their contributions. And we found that, and to uh, fix that and save an investigation into what we thought would have been theft, uh, we came up with changes to the bylaw that the city was happy to agree to because there was excess surplus there that would allow them to use it to, to pay the pension. But for that, they agreed that if the pension was ever in deficit, that they would hold solely that responsibility. Overtime has always been part of our pension plan. The argument would be, though, and, and I can appreciate the why it started, what many Winnipeggers might be hearing now, though, is that this isn't a pension plan that exists in any civil servant contract, in any public employee contract. The idea that you can have overtime as part of your pensionable earnings might irk many people because that suggests you can have an officer and go out and work as many as hours as they want for a certain period of time and then, you know, slow those hours down, but their pension remains pretty large. And, and there'll be people saying, you know what, yeah, I get what went into place 18 years ago, but it doesn't mean it should stay that way in perpetuity. Well, you know, I certainly understand that if that is, in fact, the way that citizens feel, right? But here's the fact of the matter, is that the service 
controls overtime, not officers. And w- when we had this, there was very few officers that had the amount of overtime uh, that would affect the pension plan at all. The fact that there's being more paid out or more is going into it is because the city refuses the staff appropriately. We're down 105 officers. Overtime is through the roof because we routinely have 290 calls waiting for service. That's not our members saying, I want to overinflate my pension or inflate my pension. It's there because we need officers to work. The city chooses not to hire or staff appropriately or provide a budget that would appropriately protect citizens and have the number of people out there. This is the byproduct. You have officers working on callouts every day is off. You have officers working past their 10-hour shifts. So you can't have it both ways. Are we on uncharted territory for that, George, in terms of what you think and see and hear from officers? We've talked about it repeatedly in the past about how taxed you are. Uh, where are we at when it comes to the number of extra hours that are being put in and how it might compare to previous years? Well, um, in previous years, I can tell you right now that the homicide uh, officers are being worked off their feet. The service has had to augment them with four other uh, detectives coming in. Uh if it, homicides come in now, a lot of it is being diverted to the major crime units because we don't have enough officers to keep up with the homicide the homicide investigators. And our major crime detectives are great and can do the job under the, the guidance of the uh, homicide sergeants. But when you're looking, uh, when officers rotating off for days off, the amount of callouts that they're coming, trying to get officers to come in the field because people are burnt out, they're sick, and they can't do it. And now officers are are slowly not even taking call-outs because they're burnt out. Would you be okay with it? Say, for example, this goes through this change to the pension and the bylaw that would change the way officers can put overtime into their pensionable earnings. The city says that's going to save them $1.5 million a year. What if they then said, but we will take that $1.5 million and hire X number of officers? Is there a compromise to be found there if part of the issue is being overworked? Uh, I don't know if there's a compromise for that. I don't know why that would come off the back of the workers. The fact is, you what we're hearing about the new budget says it all. You know, it wasn't that long ago Mayor Bowman stood up and said the last uh, contract that we negotiated with the city was the most sustainable uh, contract in 20 years. Now he's going to shortchange the citizens. The, the 2% that he's going to allow won't even cover uh, the... Um, the wage increase, so therefore it's actually a clawback of services. George, I'm worried about that. George, I just want to requalify something that I think I heard you say that the reason for the increased overtime over the past few years is shortage of personnel, boots on the ground, uh, to use uh, common terminology, and an increase in crime. Yes, yes, for sure. I. I I'd like to see anybody argue against that. You just have to look at the stats. They're there. Now, listen, well, uh, you know, uh, civic uh, leaders are elected in these positions, and they're, and they're forced to make t- tough decisions. But any civic leader has to pay for s- public safety. You need to provide public safety. You need to provide water and sewer, and there's infrastructure. And the money that's left over are the money that he has choices to make with pet projects. But to rob from those first three to fund pet projects... Uh, to me, that's just—it's uh, ridiculous. It's and and it's dangerous. All right, George Van Mackelberg, Winnipeg Police Association VP, joining us live on 680 CJOB. George, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you.
943 on 680 CJOB. You can let us know what you think of this. 204-780-6868. Shoot us a text. You can email Mackling at CJOB.com, McNabb at CJOB.com, or Brett at CJOB.com. You know, a few years ago, when they if they had started this conversation, I might have felt differently about it because I, I did often wonder about that pension plan, and it was so very different from every other people working for the city and the fact that you can roll in your overtime to the pension. People don't understand that's a big deal. That makes that really helps inflate your pension. But you're making this argument now at a time when the Winnipeg police are saying they've never, they're run off their feet. They're overtaxed. They're bringing in extra crews to work. Homicide can't keep up. I mean, you're, you're, you're now making this argument at a time when police are saying they cannot do or give any more. Well, and that, to me, is now going to make that so much more difficult for this politically to go through as well as for just the citizens to to get on board with one side or the other. I just find it that it's always so easy to go back with 2020 vision and say, well, you know, I know we signed this deal with you 12, 18, 40 years ago and, and enacted it. We know that something was given up in order to reach a consensus. Otherwise, you would never have a contract. And so now to claw that back, I think is disingenuous because there are members that either gave up holidays, they gave up days off, they gave up pay increases, who knows what they gave up in negotiations in order to have this as part of their contract. And now to change it arbitrarily, which I think we'll see some sort of challenge, whether it's in the courts or otherwise, uh, if the city passes this, because I don't think you can impose this. I think it has to be negotiated and agreed to. But I guess we'll be hearing a lot more about that in the days to come. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.